Hello. Welcome to the Myths and Legends of Europe. Before we start this chapter, I'd just like to introduce you to something which I think you'll find very interesting. If you're interested in developing a habit of reading classic books by authors like Homer, Nietzsche, Cicero, Spinoza and many more, go to my website www.mythandhistory.co.uk and click on the Intellectual Linear Progression banner. ILP is designed to help you develop a regular habit of reading the great books. Weekly reading goals, reminders, accountability tools and a dedicated community of fellow readers help keep you on track and on schedule with your reading. The check-in and reading goal system is designed to help you progress through the great books with just three one-hour reading sessions each week. Every month they will ship a carefully selected edition of one of the great books directly to your home. They begin with Homer and progress through works by Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Shakespeare and through to the moderns. The first book you'll get will be a copy of the Iliad, which of course is very appropriate to this podcast series. Each month you'll meet in a two-hour video conference to discuss your text with a small community of readers in a Socratic seminar led by a trained Socratic host. So, if you are interested in developing a lifelong habit of reading and studying the great books, go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and click on the ILP banner. That will take you to the site where you enter the promo code MYTH, that's M-Y-T-H, all capital letters. If you do that, you'll get 25% off your first three-month subscription to this great service. OK, on with the chapter. Hello, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece, Chapter 12, The Labyrinth. Athens was not an important city in Greece when it was first established, but it came to be very important. The hero of our next two chapters, a chap called Theseus, was a man of Athens, and it is in the great city that we will begin his story. As we know, when Athens was founded, Poseidon and Athena fought over who would be its patron god, and, as we also know, Athena won. The king with the lower body of a snake, Erictonius, founded the worship of Athena in the city and became its king. There were many kings in a long line in the family of Erictonius, including his son, Pandion. While Pandion was king, our old friend Dionysus came a-visiting. The king, rather more wisely than some of the others in our story, had the sense to promote the worship of the party god. Dionysus was very pleased, and gave the people of Athens a great gift. He gave a vine branch to a humble farmer called Ikarios, and taught him how to make wine the parties in Athens just became better and better. Unfortunately, wine had the same effect on people then as it has now, and a group of shepherds drank too much wine and became very drunk. They thought that Ikarios had poisoned them with his new drink, and they clubbed him to death. His daughter, Eragone, killed herself out of grief. Even Dionysus was very unhappy about this. After all, parties are meant to be fun. He didn't deal with it very well, though. He decided that he'd punish the women of Athens rather than the shepherds, so he turned them all mad. The men of Athens went to see the oracle to find out what the problem was. Having found out, they searched for the murdering shepherds and killed them all. Then, just to make sure that Dionysus would be very pleased, they started a huge festival at the time of the grape harvest. Dionysus was indeed very pleased, and he lifted the madness. Then he placed Ikarios and Eragone in the sky as the constellations Butus and Virgo. 
One of the descendants of Pandion was called Aegeus. He had not managed to have a son and was desperate for an heir. It seemed, though, that he and his wife were destined never to have one. One day, he was travelling home from a visit elsewhere when he met Medea, the evil ex-wife of Jason. She agreed she would help him have a son by trickery and magic if he would promise to help her fight her enemies if she ever came to Athens. He agreed and wondered further on. He reached the kingdom of Troizen, where the magic of Medea began to work. Aegeus did not remember what happened that night, but when he woke up he saw the daughter of King Pythias, whose name was Aethra. He realised that this was Medea's magic, and so he placed a pair of sandals and a sword under a huge boulder. If you have a son, he said to Aethra, and he can lift this rock and remove these things, then send him to Athens. Then Aegis would know that it was his son. The boy was called Theseus, and he was brought up by his mother and grandfather in Troizen. When he was just a very small boy, a relative of his called Heracles came to visit. The great hero threw his famous lion skin on the floor, scaring all of the children who thought it was a real live lion. They all ran away, except little Theseus, who seized an axe and attacked it. Theseus, like Perseus and Heracles, grew up to be a fine, strong young man. When he was sixteen, his mother decided it was time to see if he could lift the boulder. Theseus, of course, could lift the boulder easily. It wouldn't be much of a story if he couldn't, would it? The sword and sandals were retrieved. Aethra told him who he really was, and he set off for Athens. His mother tried to persuade him to go the easy way by ship. Theseus, though, wanted adventure, and he decided adventure was more likely if he went by land. He vowed that he'd try to get there without bothering anyone, but he'd kill anyone who tried to stop him getting there. Of course, many people tried to stop him getting there. The first person the young hero met was Periphetes. He was a son of Hephaestus, and just like the Olympian, his upper body was very strong, but his legs were injured and weak. Periphetes owned a gigantic club made of bronze, which he would use to club to death any passers-by. When Theseus walked by, Periphetes began to swing the previously invincible club. Theseus mated with his new club. Theseus marched on towards Athens. Surely it was going to get harder than this. A little further on, near the Isthmus of Corinth, Theseus came upon a man called Sinus the Pinebender. What do you think Sinus did to get his name? Yes, of course, he bent pine trees. He didn't bend them for fun, though. No, Sinus bent pine trees in order to kill people. When strangers passed by, the pine bender would ask them to help him bend over a pine tree by pulling it with a rope attached to the top. When the pine tree was good and bent, Sinus would suddenly release it and his unfortunate helper would be fired into the sky as the tree straightened. Up, up, up into the air went the helper. Down, down, down he then came, crashing to his death on the ground. Theseus didn't fall for the trick. He started to help Sinus pull down the pine, but watching carefully, he saw that Sinus was preparing to release it and ping him into the air. Quick as a flash, Theseus let go first, and Sinus rocketed up towards the heavens. His screams became quieter and quieter as he rose, and then louder and louder as he came back down. Then they stopped altogether, when Sinus hit the ground and became a messy splodge of bones and blood. Surely it was going to get harder than this. Theseus wandered on, and was confronted by a huge wild sow called Fire. This monster was yet another child of Typhon and Echidna, and so was probably scary, but Theseus hardly even broke sweat as he killed her. Once over the Isthmus of Corinth, Theseus met Skyron, 
leader of a group of bandits. This strange man forced all travellers to wash his feet. As they were doing so, he kicked them off the cliffs into the sea below, where they were eaten by his pet, a giant turtle. Theseus, when he got there, bent down as if to watch the bandit's feet, but instead grabbed him by the legs and chucked him over the cliff. The turtle didn't care who it was, all he wanted was a nice meal, and so Skyron was eaten by his own pet. He richly deserved it. Surely it was going to get harder than this. Theseus passed through Attica, where he came upon Kirkion, a son of Poseidon, who forced all travellers to wrestle with him to the death. Theseus, of course, wrestled with him, and soon threw him so hard on the ground that Kirkion was killed. One more challenge faced Theseus before he arrived in Athens. He stopped at the house of Procrustes the Beater, who offered him a bed for the night. Little did he know, there were two beds in the house for weary traveller, a short one and a long one. Procrustes always announced to his guests they should try a bed because he wanted to fit them to it. Short men were laid on the long bed and tall men on the short bed. Procrustes then fitted them to the bed. He would get out his axe and chop off the heads of the tall men, after which he would chop off as much of their legs as he needed in order to get them to fit the short bed perfectly. He would hammer out the short men until they became longer and flatter and fitted the long bed perfectly. Needless to say, Nobody got out of Procrustes' house alive. Theseus walked into the house and saw the beds, the hammer and the axe. Realising what was going on, he threw Procrustes onto the long bed and hammered him flat. He then threw him onto the short bed and cut off his head and legs. The hotel of Procrustes was now a safer place to visit. Surely it was going to get harder than this. But no, actually it wasn't. Theseus reached Athens unscathed. Far away from Athens was an island called Crete. The kingdom of Crete was founded, as so many kingdoms were founded, when Zeus went out looking for another girlfriend. This time, to keep Hera from finding out, the king of the gods disguised himself as a beautiful white bull with horns that shone like jewels. He appeared in front of the daughter of a king of Phoenicia, a lovely girl called Europa. She was picking flowers with her friends when the giant white bull arrived and the girls were frightened. The bull showed how tame it was, and they lost their fear. Europa climbed onto its back, whereupon the bull, who was really Zeus, leapt up and plunged into the sea. Her friends never saw her again. Zeus carried Europa to Crete, where she gave birth to three sons, Minos, Radamanthus, and Sarpedon. Sarpedon left to rule over Lycia, and Radamanthus became king of the islands in the southern Aegean Sea. He ruled very wisely. In fact, he was so wise that after his death he became one of the three judges of the underworld, who decided in which region the shades should forever remain. Europa married the king of Crete and hoped that her son Minos would become the next king. Zeus placed the bull in the sky as the constellation Taurus to commemorate the event. Minos married Pasiphae, daughter of Helios, and they had many children. Eventually the old king died and Minos wanted to take the throne. He was not the king's son, though, and so he had no right to it, and he decided he needed to show that he deserved to rule. He declared that the gods supported his claim, and that Poseidon would send a huge bull from the sea to show everyone that it was true. He called on the great sea god to send the bull, and declared he would sacrifice it immediately. Amazingly, Poseidon sent the bull. Minos did not stick to his side of the bargain. The bull was so magnificent that he couldn't bring himself to kill it, 
and he killed one of his own bulls instead. Now, tricking Poseidon is stupid on two levels. First, as the brother of Zeus, it was highly unlikely he wouldn't find out. Second, he was Poseidon, and he was not known for letting people off lightly if they tricked him. Minos was in for a punishment. The punishment was that Pasiphae fell in love with the divine bull, and Poseidon arranged it, so the result of this was the appearance in Crete of a horrible creature. The monster was half man and half bull, and it fed on human flesh. It was named the Minotaur. Minos was in a bit of trouble now. There was a terrible half-man, half-bull monster roaming his island eating people. This was going to take a bit of sorting out. Fortunately, there was, in Crete, a man who could sort it out. The man was a brilliant inventor and master craftsman, who had been exiled to Athens after murdering his student, who he thought may become more brilliant than him. It is said that this man, who was called Daedalos, invented the potter's wheel, among many other things. The Minotaur was Daedalus's biggest challenge. He thought, and he drew some designs. Then he thought some more, and drew some more designs. Then he rubbed out what he'd drawn so far, and thought a bit harder. Then he drew some more designs. Then he scrumpled up the paper with the designs on, and started again. After many days, he came up with the answer. Daedalus constructed a vast, huge, giant maze, and shut the Minotaur in it. Once they entered the maze, nobody could ever find their way out. It was called the Labyrinth. The Minotaur grew larger and ate more human flesh. Soon, Minos went off to fight a war with Athens. After a while, Minos's son was killed, and it became clear he wasn't winning, so he prayed to his father Zeus for aid. Zeus sent down a famine and plague to devastate the city. The desperate inhabitants went to see the oracle to ask how they could be saved. The oracle told them they must give Minos whatever he wanted. This was not a great answer for the Athenians, but they asked Minos what he wanted. Minos demanded that seven young men and seven young women be sent to Crete every year. These young people would be released into the labyrinth and eaten by the Minotaur. The Athenians realised they had no choice and sent the first fourteen to Crete with Minos. The Minotaur ate them. Minos was happy and the Minotaur was full. Two years later, Theseus arrived in Athens, just as the third lot of Minotaur food was about to be sent. When Theseus arrived, his father was already an old man. He had kept his promise to Medea and given her shelter in his city, and had married her. Together they had a son, and Medea expected her son to become the next king of Athens. Nobody recognised Theseus as the son of Aegis, including the king himself. Nobody, that is, except Medea. She convinced the poor king that Theseus was an assassin come to kill him. Aegis and Medea hatched a plan to kill the assassin. He was invited to dinner and sat down to eat, suspecting nothing. Medea had, though, filled his wine glass with poison, so that the young man would die as soon as he took a drink. Theseus still suspected nothing, and he raised his glass to his lips. Just as he was doing so, Aegis noticed the visitor's sword. It had a decoration of serpents. He recognised it as the sword he had placed under the great boulder seventeen years earlier. Despite being very old, he moved very quickly and managed to dash the glass from Theseus's hand. Evil Medea's plan had failed. She fled back to Colchis. There was huge rejoicing in Athens. Aegis was delighted to have found, at last, his son. He announced that he was old and Theseus would become the king when he died. There was a rebellion from the other sons of his brother Pallas. 
but although there were fifty of them, Theseus defeated them easily. After capturing and parading a fire-breathing bull, which made him immensely popular, he sat back in peace and happiness and enjoyed his new role as heir to the throne of Athens. But not for long. Pretty soon the ships arrived from Crete, demanding the seven young men and seven young women, the food for the Minotaur. The people of Athens cried and wailed as the fourteen young people were brought out, ready to board the Athenian ship, which would follow the Cretan boats back to Crete. The parents and families of the victims were filled with grief. Theseus could not bear to see the terrible sight, and so he boldly stepped forward. "'I will go in place of one of these young men,' he said, "'and I will kill the Minotaur and release the people of Athens from this terrible curse.' Aegis, who had only just got his son back, tried to talk him out of it, but Theseus had made his mind up. He went to see the oracle, who told him that Aphrodite would be his guide and his companion. The young hero made a sacrifice to the goddess, and then strode back to the docks and boarded the ship. The Athenian ship, which carried the doomed fourteen, always flew black sails. Aegis gave Theseus a set of white sails. If you succeed, he said, please change the black sails for these white ones. Then, when I see the ship coming back to Athens, I will know whether you, my beloved son, are alive or dead. Theseus agreed, and the ship set sail. The ship arrived on Crete after a journey of six days. King Minos was waiting at the quay to view the latest meal for the Minotaur. With the king was his daughter, Ariadne. Aphrodite did her work, and Ariadne fell in love with Theseus the moment she saw him. Ariadne secretly met with Theseus and heard what he was there to do. She promised that she would help him if he took her back to Athens and made her his wife. Theseus readily agreed, and Ariadne went back to the palace in search of help. She knew exactly who could give the help she needed. Daedalus was living in the palace, and Ariadne found him easily. She begged the builder of the labyrinth for help. Surely he must know the way out. Daedalus, though, told her that he designed the maze so cunningly and so cleverly that even he could not tell her how to escape from it. Instead, he gave the princess a ball of string. Tell the young man to tie one end of the string to the entrance to the labyrinth, he said, and then allow the string to unravel as he walks further in. If he succeeds in slaying the beast, then he can follow the string back out. Ariadne did as Daedalus told her, and gave Theseus the string. Then she kissed him and wished him luck. I will be at the door to the labyrinth at midnight to let you out, she said. Morning came, and it was time for the victims to enter the labyrinth and become the Minotaur's dinner. Theseus, hiding the ball of string in his hand, strode to the front of the line and announced that he would be going in first. Without anyone seeing, he attached one end of the ball of string to the entrance. As the fourteen young people moved through the passageways, left and right, up and down, Theseus allowed the ball of string to unwind. After a few hours, they came to the chamber at the centre of the labyrinth. The light was dim, and nothing could be heard from the outside world. From deep within the chamber came a terrifying snorting noise. A dimly lit monster turned to face Theseus as he entered the chamber. When it saw him, the monster, bellowing with rage, charged towards the unarmed hero. Theseus stood tall and waited for the attack. The time had come and the beast was upon him. Theseus raised his arms and prepared to fight the Minotaur. Next week we will finish the story of Theseus and the Minotaur and find out what happens to the great hero 
after this quest. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.